Welcome to the Making Headway Podcast, a podcast for brain injury survivors by brain injury survivors, providing resources and camaraderie for anyone recovering from any type of brain injury, with your hosts, Aaron Martin and Mariah Morgan. Welcome to the Making Headway Podcast. I'm Aaron. And I'm Mariah. And today we have an extra special guest. I am super excited about this because I've been fangirling on her Instagram account for a while. I've been a lurker. I'm always really appreciative of people on social media who just tell it like it is, you know, for better or for worse, you're going to have fans, you're going to have people who hate hearing it, but I just respect the people who have no fear about sharing the way they feel about something. And so on that note, today we have Nia Renee here. She is from How to Love a Better Woman on Instagram and is an advocate of all things abuse and chronic illness, as well as, I want to say, the owner of a brain injury called Chiari Malformation. And before we jump right in, I, I think it's important to note that Erin and I have wanted to talk about brain injury and domestic abuse uh, for quite a while because it's something that flies a little bit under the radar, at least in my opinion. We hear a lot about CTE in the news with all the talk about football players and, you know, degenerative brain disease as a result of repetitive brain trauma. Total respect to that. And I think that it's worth talking about, but something that doesn't get brought up a whole lot is... Well, if CTE is a result of repetitive brain trauma, what about people who take knocks at home? And I think that's important for us to put under a lens as a society because it's something that does not get talked about enough. And I especially would like to call out the fact that we've heard on this podcast from professionals, medical professionals, that women are often more susceptible to brain trauma because of the structure of our necks and lasting effects as a result. So I was doing like a little geeky research, and if there are about 1,700 NFL players in the country, plus NCAA players, no disrespect to them, I'm an LSU fan, go Tigers. Um, (laughs) If there are 1,700 professional football players out there, what about the people who are dealing with domestic abuse situations at home? Female, male, children, all put together, that's going to be a huge number. And they're not famous, so they're not getting the spotlight as much but we've got to talk about this stuff. So I'm going to shut up. (laughs) Nia, can I actually add? (laughs) I want to add one statistic too that might kind of hit you. 75% of domestic violence survivors have a TBI as a result of that abuse. That's a huge number. That's a huge number. It's a huge number. And think of the care that you need for a TBI in the situation that you're in when you're dealing with abuse, it's not exactly the healing environment that you would hope. So it's just, this is something that so deeply touches us and we really just want to be able to dig in. And I'm sorry that I took that away, Nia. I want to introduce myself. No, you're fine. So anyway, big fans, Nia, thank you so much for joining us today. Honestly, it's just, thank you for having me. I'm actually really shocked to even hear that, like, you know, you're fangirling and, you know, Uh, to me, it's just, it's always, it's still such a process to get used to when it comes to social media and seeing, you know, who likes my content, who doesn't like my content, but hearing that just like made me really, really happy because honestly, lately I've been feeling a little discouraged as far as the content I've been putting out and releasing and the things that I've been doing. And so it's been really good to hear, not just from you guys, just, you know, for the past couple of days, the comments people have been leaving me to just keep me going. So thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. 
Yeah. No, we say keep Welcome. it up. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes, I'm going to do my best. <laughs> <laughs> so why don't we start with a little bit about your story? Start wherever you want and take us wherever you want to go. All right. Yeah. I mean, I have a pretty extensive history of abuse in so many different ways of what the word means. Um, domestic abuse, child, childhood abuse, parental abuse, narcissistic abuse, sexual assault, rape, you know, all of those emotional psychological abuse, mental abuse. I just have a, a very extensive history of that. I would say it started when I was four years old and I am 27. So about 20 years of abuse in so many different ways that really shaped my life. Uh, and then when it comes to brain injuries for the longest time, I thought my, my brain issue and, and the stuff that was happening in my neck and my head contributed to my domestic violence situation. And it, honestly, it did. It didn't help my brain condition in any way possible. And it, it actually exasperated, it, it, it sped up the process of the symptoms with, with my Chiari malformation as well. So yeah, I have a long history of that. And I've, every single day I'm, I'm learning something new about myself. I'm trying to figure out, you know, something else about myself. I'm learning to stop making excuses for other people, just learning a lot as the days go on. So it's, you know, it's not that once you go through therapy, you're healed. Like it's therapy is an ongoing process for the rest of your life, as well as, you know, my story and the things that I've went, when the things that I've gone through, it's, it's going to be a part of who I am for, for the rest of my life. So, yeah, I'm curious. Can you explain to our listeners what the Chiari malformation is and how you found out about it? Yeah. So Chiari malformation essentially is when the brain is herniating into the spinal canal. So it's pushing down into your spinal canal and essentially your brain is too big for your skull. And it causes, there's over a hundred, I think over 185 symptoms or, or something around there of what Chiari malformation can produce. And I experienced around 80 of them. So basically it started eight years ago when I was a sophomore in high or sophomore in college and I was playing basketball and out of nowhere, I just started urinating blood and I wasn't sure what was happening. And I saw several doctors. Eventually they all told me that, you know, if I kept coming back to see them for this issue, they were going to rule it psychological. They basically were telling me I was making it up in my head. And I always want to make the point when I say that of they weren't wrong. It was in my head. It, I just was not <laughs> making it up. <laughs> I was wondering where you were going with that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, you know, I always want to make a point to be like, you know what? You guys really weren't that far off. It was in my head. It just, I just wasn't making it up. It wasn't psychological. So over the course of the next few years, I was in an abusive relationship where, you know, I'd been punched in the face a few times. I was slammed into things. I was thrown around, hit my head on a few things. Um, and I started to get really severe neck pains in, in, my, in, in the back of my, in, in my, what is it, my C-spine? Yeah, my C-spine. Mm -hmm. So I started to get a lot of like neck pain. I was in a lot of pain. And then I, then came the excruciating headaches in the back of your, your head. So basically any type of movement of like crying, laughing, sneezing, coughing, straining, any of those movements onset the most excruciating headaches where you literally can't breathe. There have been times when I would have to pull over on the side of the road because it would happen while I was driving. 
And I, 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 I'd have to hold my breath because if I breathed, it was just, it was debilitating. So I, I went through about where it was like 72 hours where I had just, I couldn't open my eyes because my head was hurting so bad. My friend took me to the emergency room and they're like, well, maybe you should go see a neurologist. Uh, my CT scan was fine, whatever. And then I finally went to go see a spine specialist and they, they after I did physical therapy, which actually, which actually made my symptoms worse, they did an MRI and that's when they found that I have carry malformation. And the biggest stigma about PRI malformation is that there's a lot of neurologists and there's a lot of neurosurgeons that don't believe Chiari malformation is real. And they also don't believe that it causes issues. Like literally as I'm talking right now, my ear just started ringing. Like it's just little things like that that happen, but they're like, well, there's no way that Chiari could cause this. You know, you go to the emergency room and you tell them, you know, because you're having symptoms and something scary is happening and they'll tell you Chiari malformation is just incidental. I literally had an ER doctor tell me, Oh, it's just incidental. Most people just come into the ER because after they get into a car accident, they do an MRI just to make sure everything's okay. And then, the, then they find it on the MRI. And I said, but that's not what happened to me. So don't generalize me. Don't put me in a box because that's not what happened to me. And so I saw two brain surgeons in Colorado, one of which I appreciate so very much for for expressing that they'd never seen a case like mine and they were unwilling to do brain surgery. I appreciate that so much because I don't want somebody going in my brain working on stuff they don't know what they're doing. Um, Fair enough. But then on the opposite side of that, I encountered a brain surgeon who was the most cockiest, egotistical human being I've ever encountered in my life. He wanted to order a million more uh, expensive tests. And he was like, no, like I've been doing this longer than you were alive. That's not what's causing your symptoms, yada, yada, yada. And as soon as I left seeing him, I was crying. I was so frustrated. I got a call from my brain surgeon at Michigan Head and Spine where they were like, no, you need surgery. You need the surgery. Like your symptoms are really concerning. And so I was able to schedule my surgery in Detroit, Michigan. And that's where I had my brain surgery, October 2019, with Dr. Holly Gilmer. Shout out to her. She's amazing. But yeah, so that's kind of how my, that's that's the, the short version of what really happened. Because if not, we'll be here until 2022. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have too many plans. So. <laughs> right? We're kind of stuck at home. <laughs> so how has life been since your surgery? Life has been up and down since my surgery. Honestly, when you have this type of surgery because of the swelling in your brain. And I mean, I don't know. I know some people have had the swelling in their brain. Some people don't. I was really close to honestly dying because my brain was swelling. But because of the pressure buildup in your head, it presses on so many different things. And it's almost like you're, you have a completely different personality. Like who I was for a very long time was not really who I was because it, it was because of my condition. And so after I had surgery, for a month after I had surgery, I spent, I spent that whole entire month feeling like I was not in the right body. I felt like I was in the completely wrong body. And it was such a weird experience to go through. It was a very emotional thing. And, you know, two weeks after I had surgery, after I was able to, after the bandages on the back of my head fell off, the sturdy strips came off, and I took a picture of it. 
mind you, I'm still in Detroit at this time by myself. Everybody had um, people who traveled with me. They had to go back to work and, and everything like that, which was completely understandable. But in my mind, it still wasn't real. And then I saw the scar and I called my dad and I was hyperventilating, like crying. And I was like, I just had brain surgery. Like that's when the reality of it hit me when I saw the scar. So it took, it's, I mean, honestly, it's, the recovery is such a long time. I mean, you don't really start to see your true self until probably about a year after you have had the surgery. So I'm still every single day finding new things I learn about myself. Like my handwriting has changed. I used to like white wine. Now I'm obsessed with red wine. I hated spicy food. Now I love spicy food. You know, just little personality changes that I was just like, oh, okay, like this is who I really am supposed to be. Like this is really who my my personality is. So it's it's taken a while to try and adjust and get. I'm just getting to know myself all over again. On top of trying to get to know who I am, trying to get to know chronically ill me, Renee, is completely different than I don't know what's happening to me. What is going on? Because there's so many questions and now I know, now I'm trying to understand like what I can and can't do. You know, if I exert this much energy, what's it going to prevent me from doing? Some days I wake up and I can do as many things as I want to, but then I'll pay for that for another, for the next week. So it's just really just, you know, my best friend, um, Kat, she's the most incredible human being I've ever met in my entire life. She, um, she sent me this link about, you know, explaining chronic, chronic illness to people. And it's, you know, with a bunch of spoons. And every time you do something, you take a spoon away. And so, you know, it's explaining to someone, it's like, for example, you have, say you have like 16 spoons and then you ask the person like, okay, so what do you do when you first get up? They're like, well, I get up and I take a shower, take a spoon away. They're like, what? They're like, yeah, you you, you take a spoon away. Okay. I brush my teeth, take a spoon away. I put makeup on, take a spoon away. I eat, take a spoon away. I take my meds, take a spoon away. And each spoon you take away you only have certain amount of spoons left for the rest of the day because it exert you're exerting that much energy. And when she sent me that, my mind was blown because for a long time I've been trying to figure out how to explain this to people. So yeah, it's you know it's it's like okay, like if I if I sit down and I create this much content, how exhausted I'm going to be for this many days? Or if I go to the gym and I do thirty minute workout. Like, what's going to happen? How am I going to feel? So the recovery process has been interesting, especially for people who just assume that the surgery is a cure. It's not a cure at all. It's something that just is supposed to help alleviate the symptoms. It's something that's supposed to help you have more of a livable life. And I I do have more of a livable life, but I'm not. I'm not cured. And a lot of people who have the surgery, oftentimes they're worse off. So it really just it just it really just completely depends on the person and their health background. You know, I'm currently going through realizing that, you know, I've gained with with my Kiari, I was under I was underweight by I want to say by 20 pounds. And now I'm overweight by 20 pounds. So and now that I'm overweight by 20 pounds and I haven't been able to work out and just do because with when you're chronically ill, especially with Kiari malformation, um, one of the one of the health situations that comes with it is EDS, Ehlers, Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, which is a connective tissue disorder. Since I've had brain surgery, actually, since before I had brain surgery, the year I had brain surgery, I had three surgeries that year followed by last year where I had three surgeries and this year I've already had one surgery. So, and I'm going to probably end up having one or two more surgeries. 
So yeah, it's, it's pretty stressful. So, but because of that, I haven't been able to work up, work out and I got some blood work back and now my, my blood sugar is mildly high and I'm just like, well, now I really have to start drinking more water and I have to, you know, I got to take some spoons away from myself so I can dedicate the time to going to the gym and just trying to, you know, ride the bike for 30 minutes or walk on the treadmill or do the stair climber or do something so that I can get myself back into a range where it's safe for me because both versions of my weight were, are very unsafe for me. So yeah, it's been, it's been very, it's been very interesting. Yeah. I love the analogy with the spoons, having like something physical to show the amount that you have to give in a day. So many people talk about like a battery and a battery is something that's intangible. So it's, it's harder to like, we all know, you know, we charge our phones overnight and they're fine in the morning, but I like the physical. Yeah. No, I really like, like she sent me that and I literally started crying. I was like, Oh my God, like, thank you. Like I never thought I would be able to find a way to explain what this is. So yeah, yeah. it's, it's, yeah. it's good when you're able to explain this to people because I don't look sick. People don't think I'm sick. Yeah. And that's the most I frustrating also, part. Invisible injuries. The invisible injury. Yeah. Yep. I want to rewind for a sec because you said something that really struck me. You said, this is who I really am. Yeah. Talking about, you know, like learning your new personality traits or, you know, like things about yourself that were are different from they were before. I feel like we run into so many brain injury survivors who are really struggling with, you know, those changes and wanting to measure themselves against their previous selves and saying like, well, that's who I am. And that the ability to let go a little bit of that, I think is in most cases, a really positive thing and say like, yeah. actually I am who I am now. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's yeah. been, yeah, it's been interesting to say the least though. It's, it's just, it's like, you're going through an identity crisis. You're just like, I have no, I honestly have no idea who I am. And I, and on top of it, I have no idea why I'm in this body. Like this doesn't feel like my body. So it was, yeah, it was, yeah, it was very interesting to, uh, to go through that. Yeah. I'm curious to know, I mean, you've been through a lot in your life and you're young. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Thank you for acknowledging that. (laughs) It's been so interesting that people don't acknowledge that, especially at my age, because I'm only 27 years old. Um, a lot of people don't acknowledge that. Have your, you know, experiences as a brain injury survivor and as a domestic abuse survivor sort of informed one another. I I just think you have so much wisdom for a 27 year old. I think you've had a lot of life learning to contribute to that, but how, how have you become the resilient person you are and and how, you know, share a little bit about, you know, like your approach to all of that, because I think you're you're an inspiration really. Oh, thank you. Stop. You're gonna make me cry. Um, (laughs) um, Oh, resilience to me has always been, I could remember being young, you know, I'm seven, six, seven years old, and I would always find a way to bounce back from the situations that I was in, or I would always find a way to be, you know, creative or write or or do something that would try to help me. But I got to a point where I realized that I don't have to be quiet about any of these things. I don't have to, why do I need to be quiet? You know, I don't care if, if it makes you uncomfortable, that's not my concern. That's not my business, nor is that my problem. If you have a hard time hearing that 
I was raped, abused, sexually assaulted, parental abuse. I was almost kidnapped once. You know, if you have a hard time hearing those things, it's something you need to look inside yourself and realize, why does that make you uncomfortable? Or is it, does this make you uncomfortable because you're a part of the problem? Or does this make you uncomfortable because it's triggering something within you that you haven't had the chance to work on yet? Or you haven't had the chance to acknowledge? Or you realize, wow, I'm really not alone. And the negative part of what I just said is only toward the people who are a part of the problem, not to the people who haven't had a chance to or didn't even realize or notice that those things happened to them. So I think my resilience just comes from the fact of like, you're not going to tell me what I can and cannot talk about. You're not going to dictate what what I tell what happened in my story. And you can't change what happened to me. So I'm going to talk about it. I don't care. That's how I get through everything. I, I have to talk about it. I have to talk about it. I have to feel it. I have to cope with it. I have to understand what's going on. And from there, then I don't know what happens after that. I just go into the space and then all of these things are created. And I was just like, I don't even remember doing half of these things, but like, here we are. <laughs> so yeah, I don't know. For the longest time, I feel like I've always, if anything, as far as my brain injury and my abuse, abusive past, that is the one thing that has remained consistent is that I've always been that person that's very vocal. And I, I'm a Taurus, so I'm very bullheaded. I'm very, um, <laughs> I <wonder> I like. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very bullheaded and I'm just very like, I'm an, I'm a take no nonsense, no bullshit type of person. So I think that part of my personality has reigned true the whole entire time. So, yeah, I think that's just, you know, it just, I have to do at least, I have to do these things. Yeah. So your point about, you know, what, what is causing discomfort when someone hears, you know, something that triggers that feeling is a really good one and an important one in our country, I think right now, not to get crazy political about it, but, you know, I think there are a lot of conversations happening in our country right now that are making people feel uncomfortable, but they have to happen for progress to be made and more of them need to happen. Um, yes. And I think that is true on many, many, many fronts. So I'm curious to know on, you know, the domestic abuse and, you know, sexual violence front, why you think that these things aren't more top of mind for folks or aren't talked about more. I mean, I, I think like there's shame sometimes that comes with these things unnecessarily, but I, I just don't, I don't hear that much about it. And I am curious to know your thoughts on why that might be. I mean, I think there's a lot of different reasons why they're not talked about a lot, but I think that I think of the jet, the Jeffrey Epstein situation. And when I, when I think about that situation, I think that it opens such a Pandora's box of things that is going to destroy a lot of people and the world is not ready for that. So I think that these things aren't talked about because especially in the entertainment world, especially in the world of people who are extremely wealthy, a lot of their, their dirty laundry is going to get aired out. And then I also think that it, it, it's not, it's also not talked about because victims are so blamed and shamed all the time. Well, why didn't you leave? Why did you say? Why did you let somebody do this to you? Why you? It just comes with this huge stigma, and it's just like you should be supportive of people who are trying to talk about these things. Because what happens? What happens if it happens to you? Or what happens if your child comes to you one day, one one day, and says that, "Mommy, Uncle touched me," and what are you gonna do? 
You know what I mean? So I just, I feel like a lot of these things aren't talked about because I just, I don't know. I just go back to my original thing. It's, un, it's, un, it makes a lot of people uncomfortable. And if it's not something that comes with happiness or joy or, and fake happiness and just, you know, being so bright and bubbly. And if it's, if, if it's not that people don't want to hear about it. And I think it's bullshit. Yeah. Honestly, I think it's bullshit because life is not all about being happy and smiling all the time. Life is not about that. Yes, it should be about that. But what about those who are stuck in the dark? I was trapped in the dark for such a very long time. I felt so alone for a very long time. So I just, I don't know. I i have my own, I have my own theories as to why these things aren't talked about, but uh, I, I don't know. I wish it was not that way. Agreed. That's why we love your Instagram account, the how to love a battered woman, because it's just so out there and you're so real with it. And that's like if people can't talk about their experiences and don't feel comfortable coming out and sharing and community, you know, communing with each other, what hope is there? You're just stuck by yourself. Yeah. So thank you. (laughs) And I think, I think, you know, the internet as amazing as it is, has allowed um, people to hear what they want to hear. You know, like you dislike something you hear, you unsubscribe, you unfollow, you turn it off, you mute it. Right. And that goes for things that maybe you agree with, but make you feel uncomfortable. Um, And I think like, you know, we thought as a, culture that the the age of the internet was going to bring free-flowing news and you know more unbiased information but really it's allowed us to opt into what we want to opt into and I, there's been so much talk about cancel culture lately too which is an interesting one because uh, at least you know i've had a few conversations with folks about like cancel culture yes it's real but also dividing between cancel culture and holding others accountable, you know, for, which I think is incredibly important. Yes. Um, so, you know, I mean, I'm down to can to cancel people like R Kelly. I'm down to cancel people like, you know, Jeffrey Epstein and, and, and people like that. But I think it's important that if we cancel people without seeing that they can make a change, but you know, but, but like I said, people like R Kelly, no, I, I'm, I, I have not played his music since. I have not listened to his, his music since. I don't support that. You know, I, I still have very controversial views on Chris Brown and Tory Lanez. And, you know, it just, it just, it, to me, it's just like, okay, yes, you did something, something happened, but what is your behavior after that, after the situation? And if the behavioral patterns are the same, you continue to make those same decisions, you keep doing those same things, then yes, you deserve to be canceled. So yeah, it's very it's very interesting. I think. Yeah, and I don't excellent think, point when yeah. you say that you know people not willing to make a change. You know how many chances can you really give someone before you're like, you know what, this is done. Yeah, like I can't do this anymore. Yeah, yeah, it's. I absolutely. Yeah, I absolutely. Yeah, you can only give you can only give a certain amount of chances to somebody because eventually it's just it's just who they are. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why I say, like, I think that there's a there's a difference between accountability and the canceling, you know, like it's not it's become such a cliche term. But but really, at a certain point, you know, you are like deciding that Art Kelly is cut out of your life. That's not necessarily canceling so much as saying 
I hold you accountable for your actions, which were unacceptable, you know? So, yeah, I think it's a shame that 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 line, the gray area is hard to put your finger on and people sort of, I don't know. I, I feel like cancel culture has become a term that comes up so much, but isn't given a whole lot of thought anymore. Yes, so. I absolutely agree. Yeah, it's kind of the easy out, the cancel. Yeah. You know, yeah. if you're making the decision to just book be done and no accountability that goes with it, mm-hmm. then, you know, that that's easy to do. That doesn't take a lot of work yeah. to just unfollow. But when you bring it down to that familial level or that relationship level within your life, like, things get tough. I mean, I've had experiences too. Like we probably all have people that you give chances and you, you know, you really hope and want them to come out of it a better person. But if they don't choose to do so, you can't bring them there. And that's hard. That's hard to recognize. Yep. It is. And it's it's hard to do. Disappointing. Yes. Mm -hmm. Speaking Mm -hmm. from personal experience, you know, like I've, Myself been very open about being in therapy since my brain injury and the good it's done in my life. But the reality is, you know, I'm going to probably be in therapy my entire life because there are people in my close ring of friends and family who will never do it. (laughs) And uh, that's incredibly frustrating. It's like I'm doing all this work because of you. And I bet you can relate to that, Mia, a little bit, like given all you've been through. (laughs) I saw this TikTok the other day that really just was so true. And it was just like, you know, it was just like the parents saying like, why are you in therapy? And she's, I'm in therapy because you didn't go to therapy. That's why I'm in therapy. And that- Was it me? (laughs) 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 Uh, And that is- my family, but Same. No. And honestly, that to me, I I mean, I agree. Like, yes, like I am in therapy because you did not go to therapy. I am in therapy because you didn't deal with the things that you needed to deal with before you decided to recreate, before you decided to procreate, before you decided to have children. You you, know. So, yeah, I mean, I yeah, I absolutely agree with that. And yeah, I think I'll be in therapy for the rest of my life, not only just for the things that I battle with every single day, but because, yeah, I, I deal with a lot of people who who don't like to deal with their emotions, don't like to deal with the things that they've been through. And, and uh, there, there are repercussions to those those actions. Yeah. I wonder if that's almost like, I mean, this conversation about the conversations we don't have, like that happens on a small scale and a large scale, right? Like that happens in a family unit, that happens in a group of friends, that happens, you know, on a local level, that happens nationally. And I feel like one thing that I've learned about through therapy is that, the less you talk about things, the more you sweep them under the rug, the more of a chronic issue they become. And yeah. I feel like that's true on my on a personal level. And I see that happening in our country right now. Like the well, conversations that we do something under the rug and you never clean out what's under the rug. It piles up and it builds yeah. and it builds under the surface. And one of those days, it's all going to come out. Yeah. So I'm curious to know, you know, There's a lot of, like I mentioned, talk about, you know, brain injury, I think is getting a lot more attention on a a larger scale. We've heard a lot about the CTE stuff in football players. What you would say to folks who are dealing with a situation at home that they are not sure how to grapple with, and then also what you would say to folks who are moving past it and what advice you would give to them? That 
is that's a lot sorry yeah that's a heavy loaded (laughs) loaded question question. that's a very loaded question i i think the people that are are dealing with it and don't really know how to deal with it while they're in it i think it's important to realize that you're not making it up like it's actually happening to you because narcissists are master manipulators they have they're very good at making you believe that what you're going through isn't abusive what you're dealing with isn't abuse what you're dealing with in fact is your fault and it's absolutely not your fault it's not your fault you're not weak-minded you're not you're you're just you're stuck in a situation where most of us get stuck in those situations because it's what we're used to we're used to abusive situations a lot of us grew up in abusive households a lot of us grew up where we we witnessed uh, abusive tendencies and anger and, and crazy behavior and narcissistic tendencies. So our whole lives we spend thinking that that's normal. And one day I woke up and realized it wasn't normal. So I think those those who are in this in in it and are trying to understand what is happening, it's not your fault. And it feels really lonely. You feel like you don't have anybody else. You you feel like even if you did have other people and you try to tell them that they're not going to believe you or they're going to blame you and you feel like you're stuck and, and you, you, you're you not stuck. You don't have to be stuck. But it is terrifying because there are a lot of situations where you tried to leave your abuser and they threaten to kill you. They threaten to kill themselves. They threaten to kill your family. They, they stalk you. And a lot of people who are especially in physically abusive relationships that, that they try to leave. And a lot of the times it ends up resulting in their death because they have to find a way to get out and make it safe and essentially, you know, create a whole entire new identity to get away from it. So I, it's, it's, it's tough advice because you're only going to be able to do these, these things when you're, when you're ready to do these things, when you're able to do these things. And it takes a long time. It takes a long time. You know, I, I, I made excuses for people for a long, a long time. I stayed in situations where I, I felt safe and my safety was feeling like the abuse was was a safety zone, which is which is crazy, you know. Abuse. It's like the devil you know versus the devil you don't. Exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. And so you're not crazy. You're not making it up. You are not alone. You are not. It's not your fault. And it's you're a lot stronger than you think you are. You're not weak minded. It takes a lot of strength to be able to do to deal with these situations. It takes a lot of strength to be able to walk away from these situations. Um, so you're not weak. Don't let anybody ever tell you that you're, that you're weak or that you are weak minded. And those who are coping and dealing with life after abuse, there is a beautiful life after abuse. There can be a beautiful life after abuse. If you're willing to do the work within yourself to, to get to the root reason why we continue to find these people or these people continue to find us. Therapy was my life-saving space because it, it allowed me to realize that I, I kept attracting these type of men and these type of women because my birth mom, I was very used to it. I was very much used to being in chaos and it all stemmed from her. So I think if you're if you're willing to do the work and the work is not easy it's hard it's isolating it, at times you feel very alone you feel feel very lonely you, you question yourself why am i doing this because it's so painful but once you get through it and once you realize that you can set boundaries 
once you realize that you are able to pick and choose what is in your life, regardless of if they are family or not, it, it's, it makes such a huge difference in, in what you allow to have around you. I think those are wise words, regardless of the situation too, honestly. And interestingly, this kind of struck me when you were talking about this, talking about not allowing anyone to make you feel like you're crazy and not allowing anyone to make you feel like you're alone. I think as brain injury survivors, so many of us have felt like we've been told we're crazy or we've felt alone in it. Do you feel like you were better equipped to deal with your Chiari malformation because you learned those lessons a really hard way, um, but learned them nonetheless? Oh, wow. With with Chiari, I still battle with the, you know, feeling alone and feeling like I don't have people who don't understand it because it's it's very rare to find someone who deals with Chiari or, or anything brain related. What was the question again? <laughs> well, so I, the reason I asked it is listening to you talk about Chiari and having a doctor tell you it was all in your head, yeah. you know, and then listening to you talk about what you would tell someone, you know, who's struggling with a situation at home that they don't know how to deal with. And you saying it's not all in your head, basically. You're not a crazy person. The the similarity in, in that is just very interesting. Yeah, they're so. very similar because I yeah, I think a lot of what I went through and I think I, I think I mean with both sides of this coin, I think it's made me realize that I had to advocate for myself. Yeah, I've, I've, oh, I have to I have to advocate for myself because you're not going to tell me how I feel. You're not going to tell me what I'm experiencing. You're not going to tell me what I've dealt with, what I how, how badly it hurts or or or, oh, it's only happening because, you know, you're a woman and just all of the weird shit that comes with the standards of of health care, um, especially in the United States. So like mental health and health. Yeah, they come they come hand in hand because. Yeah, I just I knew I wasn't going to tell people I, I knew I wasn't going to let people tell me, no, that's not true. No, you didn't do that. No, you don't feel that. No, that's not what's happening. Yeah, no, you're, you're definitely making this all up in your head when I'm literally seeing it. You're, you, I just yeah, to me, that drives me insane. You're, you're, you're trying your best to make me feel like I, I, it's in my head. And it's not in my head. I know what I feel every single day when I wake up and I know what it feel, felt like to be isolated and in, in, in those situations. So, yeah, I definitely think they uh, they go hand in hand. I think, unfortunately, a lot of what I went through where I learned self-advocacy definitely helped when it came to my own medical situation. Yeah, not the way you probably would have chosen to learn those lessons, but nonetheless, lessons learned. Yes. So, I'm also Just curious. Showing that. Oh, go ahead, Erin. No, I was just going to, where you were talking about not being weak-minded, um, you know, you really had that inner sense of knowing and knowing yourself and what what's right and what's wrong within you and advocating for that. It sounds like are similar skills that you need in the brain injury communicate, uh, the brain injury community, but also in a domestic violence community. Yes. Because it's just, it's so fearful sometimes yeah, to step scary. out. It, I shouldn't say sometimes. All, all the time. All the time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's yeah. fearful to step out. Yeah. yeah. That's actually, a, there is a way through it. Mm-hmm. Um, to my question, which was, what would you say to the person who does want to speak out, but is fearful of the reaction or the ripple effect or what people might troll them on, on social media? I think, you know, so many people 
do want their voice to be heard, but are afraid of the negativity, are afraid of the nasty comments. For me, it's like, I'm afraid of what my family will say. You know, what would you say to the person who wants to be a little braver? It takes time. Uh, I mean, I dealt with those fears for a very long time, but then I had to finally just say, I don't give a shit anymore. I don't care. Especially with people, you know, there's always going to be trolls on the internet. There's always going to be the people that like to hide behind their keyboards and their their computer screens and their 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 phones, and they like to hide behind that. And they they realize that I had to realize that that's not a reflection of me. That's a reflection of themselves. That's a reflection of who they are. They're dealing with certain things. It's just not a reflection of me. And I'm dealing with that with TikTok right now when I see a lot of these comments and I see, and I've known for a long time. I mean, honestly, I just watch, which is really funny uh, comparison, but seeing how like the Kardashians deal with trolls on the internet and the crazy comments that they always get in every time they post a photo or they breathe, they just, there's negativity. And, you know, I, like I said, it's really corny, but Kylie Jenner was like, I just had to stop reading the comments. And I like to read the comments because I like to respond to the people who are positive. And there are some comments where I feel like it's worth to say something back as an educational moment and standing up for this community that I'm trying to build. Uh, but then there are the other times I honestly, I just, I've gotten to the point where I laugh at it because it's really funny to me because it's just like, why well, I, I didn't realize people still sounded this, this stupid. Like, <laughs> so um, yeah, I just, I try, I don't know. I laugh at a lot of things and I don't take a lot of things to heart. Cause I don't know this person for anything. I don't know these people. I don't know, you know, anybody that's that it. are, or, you know what I mean? I don't know them. And even if I did know that, I'm just like, okay, like that's your opinion. Cool for you. Congratulations. Like, good luck with that. Good luck with that. <laughs> like, yeah, but the you're further proving really the point. Hurt. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Like the ones that can really hurt you are the ones that you've allowed into your heart. Mm-hmm. So being able to take their, you know, what they say when you confront them with, abuses must be it, it's awful yeah. <laughs> it's a, it, it, it's a hard thing it's a hard thing to go through I mean there's a lot that I'm struggling with here because there's only so much you feel comfortable sharing at a time and yeah. you know I, I have experiences too that it's just that's the hard part the internet part the people I don't know pff, yeah whatever yeah that's yeah, yeah but the that people that people are supposed to love you yeah yeah and can't take what you're saying absolutely that that's where it gets hard and it hurts yep. but i love seeing you on here nia because you're such a a source of hope for the fact that there is life after that confrontation you know if you lose family if you lose friends there's something else beyond that. Yeah. And maybe we can speak a little bit to the hope of what comes after you confront these situations. Yeah. It's just, you take, you take your power back. I think that's the biggest thing is that you are literally grabbing the power back and you are steering your own life. You were really just getting it together on your own. And it's hard. It's difficult. I mean, you guys asked me if I was okay today and no, I'm not really that okay. Um, I'm dealing with stuff in my personal life and just dealing with things where I knew it was going to come to a head eventually. And I I have to take my power back. I have to stop making excuses. And I have to realize that, you know, these, these, these people and certain things have played a huge role in my trauma. So yeah, it's, uh, it's tough. I can, I can say that, that it, it is tough, but it is very beautiful when you really feel like you're in control 
you know, I don't have to depend on anyone but myself to get me through the things that I've been through. And family is important to me, but it's not important enough to continue to destroy me and continue to make me feel less than or make me feel like what I'm doing is wrong and how I cope and deal with my brain condition and, and the abuse that I was subjected to and, and my PTSD. You're not going to make me feel less of a person because I decide to talk about that because clearly yeah. I'm doing better than you are because I'm not... Mm. I'm not angry. I'm not lashing out. I'm not taking my frustration and my stress out on other people because I'm dealing with mine. Yeah. So, I mean, props to you for being able to do something as simple as saying, I'm not okay today. I feel like so many people, you know, glaze right over that and say, you know, great, doing great. But I find that the people who I most relate to are at this point in my life, having become, I think, one of those folks who can say when I'm not okay is I relate to the people who can do it, you know, and who are honest with where they are on any given day, you know, good, bad, ugly, whatever it is, it it's real. Yeah. So no, I absolutely yeah. agree. I completely agree. Yeah. And the nice thing being a brain injury survivor, if there is something nice that can come out of it, because there is, is we have the opportunity of how we want to rebuild our brains. And I don't, you know, a lot of people are never really confronted with that. I mean, maybe they are in different life-changing experiences, but definitely with brain injury, you get to choose to a point what you want to spend your time and energy doing and rehabbing and building within yourself. And it's such an area of opportunity. Yeah, but it's hard. And I think people want that dream and that picture painted that it's going to be easy and it's so beautiful and it's so I think people always have the view of the happy ending but they don't know what it's really like to get to the happy ending they don't know how difficult it is to get to that point they don't know how how painful it is it's hard it's painful it's it it's hard it's not it's not easy and you know anything worth really truly deep diving for and wanting is not really ever going to be easy there are going to be bumps in the road it's going to be challenging but it's yeah i just think people always want to paint that picture of like oh it's gonna be so beautiful and it's so fun and it's not i hate it I fucking hate it i hate it i cry mm -hmm. way too much <laughs> and we make progress but there's no like i'm always like when's the day gonna come that everything's you know butterflies and rainbows and all my hard work has paid off and I'm completely happy forever and always and nothing bad will ever happen again. Well, that's not a realistic destination. The destination, journey. exactly. The destination's the journey. You know, the fact that you took that step to call out what's going on, to, you know, do what you need to take your power back. Those are all the steps that are going to build you there. But it doesn't mean that you do that one day and the next day you wake up and everything's hunky-dory fine. Yep. It is... It's such a journey. I mean, I felt so proud of me, myself yeah. last night for putting my foot down and setting boundaries, but I, I cried all the way home. I cried in my boyfriend's arms. Uh, I cried myself to sleep. And then I woke up this morning and I was like, yeah, I'm proud of myself, but I still hate it. <laughs> like, this still it's sucks. Still hurts. <laughs> yeah, still yeah, I, I mean, especially when, when a loved one is concerned, you know, like, that does not make it easier. That's for sure. I mean, I think that's a part of the reason people avoid therapy when they shouldn't, right? It's like, they don't want to talk about the hard stuff. They 
they would avoid it if they could at all. I actually pre brain injury was seeing a therapist and I saw her for like six months and I knew that it wasn't going to be a good relationship with a therapist because somehow she allowed me to avoid talking about the things I was literally paying her to talk about, but yeah. I just like somehow managed to like skirt the issues and skirt the issues and she never nailed me down. And so no progress was ever made because I sat there in her office for an hour a week for six months and I never had to deal with the stuff I was supposed to be dealing with. But that's what we want to do is we want to avoid the hard stuff. Yep. So, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. so, I agree. That's true. Well, Nia, I have to say uh, thank you so much for your general openness and using your voice on social media. And uh, truly, like I, I don't know you personally, but you are one of those people that you stumble across and you are amazed by the strength that they emanate. It's not like you are loud. It's not like you're, you know, like, but the way you say things is incredibly eloquent and intelligent. And it's just Thank you. So keep up the good work. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. Can we talk a little bit about how to love a battered woman? Yeah. I know that's been your kind of child. Yeah, it's been my little baby for the last couple of years. I've been, you know, I haven't, wasn't really able to take it seriously for the first couple of years like I wanted to because of my brain situation and my health stuff. But yeah, it's my little baby and I I just want to see it grow and mature. What type of community is it? Like, what it, what is your kind of mission and thought process with it? Your vision? That's what I'm looking for. I honestly, I want to get to the point where I can, I can probably get into some public speaking and, and travel to tell my story and talk to people, especially young people, especially people who are in high school, college, and you know, get them to see that, like, that they're not alone. And um, yeah, I mean, that's my overall goal. But even if it's just one person that I help from sitting in a corner at night crying themselves to sleep because they feel like they're worthless and they're alone. Even if it's just helping that one person, I've done my job. But I, w- I mean, it's, it's just for the community of people who feel alone. I mean, people who deal with invisible illnesses like PTSD, depression, anxiety, and people who are chronically ill, that's also invisible illnesses as well, but also those that, that aren't necessarily invisible illnesses on top of just the whole unfortunate community of people who have been abused and assaulted and yeah, I, I want to, I, I feel like I do this and I, I, I just, I came to this realize, I feel like, oh God, I don't want to cry. <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> it's all right. Let it out. Feels, feels if you yeah. have to. Jesus, I'm feeling. Uh, tears for me a few feel. times too, so. Ah, uh, jeez. Uh, uh, I feel like when I do these things, um, I've got to hate you guys right now. <laughs> it's okay. We edit. Yeah, we edit. So it's okay. No, it's fine. I just, I feel like, you know, when I do these things, I feel like I'm talking to that little girl, that the, the my, me, I'm talking to the, the smaller me. And I feel like I, I just wish I had who I am now when I was, you know, seven, eight years old or four years old when I went through my first experience of being um incested by by a half brother and half sister and you know felt like I was the redheaded stepchild when it came to uh my household and you know I said so when I talk about these things and when I post what I post in the videos and and the things that I do I feel like I'm talking to four-year-old me and I have a poem I think I'm gonna do you know it's it's uh I think it's called four-year-old me it's called something like that 
it's a really painful poem for me, but I, I, I feel like I want to do something with that because it's just, it's uh, a lot of the things that I do now and how playful I am and just, I just, I feel like it's giving me a chance to be the kid that I never got the chance to be. And so when I speak, it's it's kind of like I'm, I'm looking at a photo of myself when I was a, a kid and, and I'm talking to that little girl. And I didn't realize I was going to get that emotional about it. But um, yeah, I just, I wish that I had who I am now when I was younger. And if anybody can take away what I've been through and, and view what I've, I've, I've dealt with and and can see that they're not alone and they're not by themselves in this and they're not, you know, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's where my words, that's, yeah. <laughs> I got goosebumps. It's a beautiful mission. Yeah. yeah. I, I think anyone going through this, seeing you just being so open and being able to read your blog posts and watch your TikTok videos, follow your Instagram, it just provides such a voice of hope that yes, you can do this. If you need to get out of something, you can do it. When you're ready, you can do it. Yes, yeah. Um, I, it just, yeah, it's, it's something that it just takes time and it takes realization. And like I said, it's painful. And I I, uh, I don't show it very often, but I spend a lot of my time crying. And I, um, uh, I spend a lot of time, you know, just dealing. I deal with a lot of things, but I, but with dealing with them is where my creativity comes from is because I, I, I go with it and I feel it. And then I'm just like, okay, well now I'm going to, and then I just start saying things and I start posting things. I start doing things. And then before I realize I've created content that I didn't even think I, I, I had no idea where that was even going to come from. So, I mean, yeah, I just, it's, it's, it's a process. And for anybody dealing with this and you feel like you're just not doing enough or you feel like you're not being heard enough or you feel like you're scared I mean, honestly, all of those things that you feel is more than okay. It is okay to feel what you feel as, as long as at some point you have a plan to, 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 to work on it and to get, and to get through it. That is, that is the hard part. Yeah. I think that in our culture, we have this idea that strength comes without emotion. And I think that's to the detriment of anybody who's trying to heal from any kind of trauma, honestly, is thinking that you need to do it without showing weakness. Because the reality is nobody heals from trauma without grappling with those things head on. And that comes with so many feelings. Yes, it comes with a lot of feelings and people who say that if you if you don't know how to control your feelings, you're weak minded or if you you deal with these things or you allow these things. It's just no, it's not true. It's just, there's just there's it's not true. It's just it's so much deeper than that. And yeah, yeah, the, uh, yeah, just that makes me so frustrated. So, yeah. <laughs> you're beautiful thank you you really are <laughs> so much oh, for you. all that you've done all that you share it's not easy to put yourself out there I mean we we get that to a lesser degree just by doing this podcast but being open and honest and creating and helping others you know with what you would have wanted like thank you thank you so much thank you really thank you for having me uh, I appreciate it um, <laughs> it's very interesting doing these these type of interviews when, you know, I'm, I'm feeling pretty down myself, but it, it ends up helping. Right. 
It ends up helping. I hear you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's it's like personal therapy doing these talks. It just it helps us through. So we get you. We feel you. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So for people that want to follow Nia, she has an Instagram account that's probably the best way to get um, to everything that she does. It's at How to Love a Battered Woman. In that, she has her links to her website, her TikTok, YouTube. You can find her everywhere that she is. Yeah. And we encourage you to do so. <laughs> I feel like you'll be as big a fan as we are. <laughs> mm-hmm. Thank you. <laughs> So thank you so much for your time, Nia. And we'll be watching you on social media, but know we're standing with you. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Signing off with my co-host, Erin. We'll see you next week on the Making Headway podcast. Thank you. If you're being abused by your partner, know there's nothing you have done or are doing to cause the abuse. It's solely the choice of the abuser to abuse. It may seem impossible to escape your abuser, change your circumstances, or find the help you need, but it is possible. However, you know your abuser best, so think carefully through your situation and circumstances and do what is best for you. For anonymous, confidential help 24-7, please call the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-7233. That's 1-800-799-SAFE, S-A-F-E. Thanks for joining us on the Making Headway Podcast. For more information and show notes, visit makingheadwaypodcast.com. Subscribe to the podcast on your favorite platform and leave us a review. Check us out at Making Headway Podcast on Facebook and Instagram and share with your friends. Catch you next time. All topics are intended to be used for educational and entertainment purposes only. The podcast is not to be used as a substitute for medical advice. Always consult with your healthcare provider for any issues or treatment considerations you may have. For our full legal terms, please see our website at makingheadwaypodcast.com. This podcast was recorded, mixed, and mastered with love at Stout Heart Studios. Sun rises across the ocean.